Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Revelation chapter 3. Uh, before we jump in, I just want to take a minute to kind of re- repeat the announcements. And those of you who know me know that I love announcements. Um, but th- these, are, these are really, this is kind of more like family talk. And uh, we had some issues with technical going on and all these things were happening. And sometimes when those of you online, some of you just watch the sermon so you don't get the announcements. So we're, I, I think these are that important for us all to make sure that we're catching this. In a time of transition and the board partnering with Dr. Downs, uh, Dr. Downs has an opportunity uh, along with the elders to come and listen to you about your church and ask you questions. And, you know, some of you will come up with questions that they're not asking because I, I know you and you will ask them questions. But it's an opportunity for you to have input in this transition. And so it's really important for you to mark June 17th on your calendar. Evening meeting, uh, we're guessing around 6, 6.30 in that, okay? So June 17th, please mark that on your calendar. And um, I would just say very, very, very important, okay? Uh, the second, we're just really excited. Um, it's just, a, it, it's a big deal. I know that most of you don't know the name. This guy's written several books. I can't pronounce the name, but it, do, it doesn't matter. Who he, um, it's just a really great opportunity to learn from somebody uh, that has been starting prayer movements all over the world. And uh, because of the relationship with Dr. Downs, he is going to be here um, and, and teach us on prayer June 27th and 28th. Um, he's going to preach, and then he is going to be here for two evening, six to nine, seminars, um, and probably over in the fellowship hall, and uh, have the opportunity uh, to hear from him. And it's just going to be a great opportunity. And then he has some materials that go around with his book, um, that he's going to be teaching from. He has several books, but from the book he's teaching on. And the small groups, we're encouraging you, small group leaders, listen to me here, to pick that study up to take through the summer. And this will help us in our prayer through transition. And so at some point in time, you say, what are the elders doing? June 17th, June 27th, and 28th. Okay, uh, So be a part of that. Okay? Also, I think we forgot to pray this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you that we know that as we worship, that you are here in our midst. And God, we pray as you have taught us to pray, that your name would be honored in our worship, whether it's here or at home that your name would be honored in our conversations, that your name would be honored in our church and in our life. God, we pray your kingdom come. God, we pray that we would know more of your presence, that we would be in a kingdom that cares for the orphan and the widow and the sojourner and that your justice would be done. God, we pray that your will would be done. And that's sometimes really hard. It's hard for us to pray that, not because we we don't know that your will is going to be done. We know that, but sometimes your will scares us. And it even shook the sun in the garden where he asked you to take the cup from him, but not his will, but your will be done. And so God, we pray your will be done. God, we pray for your provisions as a church. We pray for your provisions as families, as individuals, Lord, that you would care for us. And and God, as we've been going through Revelation, this idea of repentance, God, may we be a humble, repenting people that recognizes, God, that that you would forgive our sins, that you would forgive our debts, our transgressions, as we forgive others. God, we pray that your hand of protection would be on us. God, we know that that's not going to mean that we're going to be void of of conflict or void of 
of difficult times, but God, we know that in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, God, that you would be with us and that you would provide. So God, as we open up your word this morning, as a church, as families, God, we pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive what you have to say to us and that our hands and our feet would be willing to do what you ask of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Revelation chapter 3, I'm going to start with a sports story, and I'm sorry, but um, I was watching yesterday uh, the, the PGA golf tournament. I can't remember, Memorial something. I, I can't been playing in, in, uh, in uh, Dublin, Ohio. You could hear the cicadas, man. You just couldn't, you could almost not hear the announcers. It was just so loud. And so I'm watching it, and there's this golfer. His name is John Rahm. Some of you, some of you just, just, you'll get there with me. Hold on. And he finishes his round, and he is, for three days, this is a big deal, he's like 15 under par. And so he is six strokes better than anybody else is playing. Six strokes with only one day to go. And as he's walking off the green, this man walks up to him and says a few words, and he just drops to his knees and begins crying. And so the, the announcers uh, for TV are like, we're not sure what just happened. We're going to stay with this until we figure it out. And so I, was, I had the button to turn it off. To be honest, I'm not a big John Rahm golfer fan. I was rooting for other guys. And so I was like, oh, wait. And so he had tested positive for COVID-19 and was kicked out of the tournament. And kicked out the rough word. But you understand, right? He's disqualified. He had had one shot of the, uh, the vaccine, uh, but he inadvertently was around somebody who was positive. They were watching him. He tested negative on Thursday. He tested negative on Friday. He tested positive on Saturday. And so he's out, and, you know, you just don't get an opportunity as a professional to win a big one, and this is a big one, not to mention it's like $1.6 million. Not a big deal to him. I, you know, I could take it and get me out of a couple of jams. But, you know, like instantly, and I was thinking, this guy has been preparing his whole life probably playing golf since he was a kid, in so many tournaments and practice on the range over and over again. He has prepared his whole life for this and then executes perfectly just at the right time, the right day. He still doesn't win, and it's nothing that he could have controlled. And so many of us, we just think, we, I got everything under control but we don't. And so when we're looking at these churches and we're talking about these things that, you know, they need to repent of this and they were involved in this, like there are some things the churches couldn't control. There is circumstances beyond their control and yet they're to remain faithful in the midst of them. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And the angel... And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word. And have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world, the whole world, 
to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A few things as we just dig in here. We've been saying that in the introduction, uh, oftentimes the author uh, plays on things in the city. Uh, Not so much in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, It's the city of brotherly love. Historically, there was a leader in Philadelphia or in in this town that just really loved his brother who was a ruler above him. And that's where the term comes from. Uh, It was an earthquake-prone area. Did anybody feel the earthquake yesterday? I I did. Now, granted, I'm from California. I'm a little sensitive to those things. Um, But there was an earthquake over uh, Mount Hood area about 8.50 yesterday. Uh, Steve Gilbert said he felt it. I felt it as well. Uh, Just kind of a quick little, you know, house was shaking a little bit more than usual. Um, But uh, Philadelphia was an earthquake-prone area. Um, We are gathering from our text this morning that it had a strong Jewish community. Uh, Archaeology hasn't really borne that out as it did in the city of Sardis. Remember, Sardis had the huge temple in that. Um, But there's clear contrast that that the writer is using here between the synagogue in Philadelphia and the church. And you can almost picture the Jews of that that town emphasizing, we have the synagogue. You're out. And so the writer here does this big contrast. Yeah, they have the synagogue. You have Jesus. They have the synagogue. You'll be welcomed into the temple. In fact, he says you're going to be a pillar in the temple. And so there's this contrast that's going on in there. Now, he addresses this, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David. Now, we've been talking about how John is pulling from chapter one, these descriptions. We don't have the phrase Holy One and True One in chapter one, but look over for a second at chapter one, verse 17 where, uh, and 18, where uh, John is pulling from. He says, when I saw him, I felt fell at my feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. And so here, uh, first and last is reference to God, so holiness is definitely within that definition, okay? And true, I would say as well. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And he says, I have the keys of death and Hades. In Revelation chapter 3, John is emphasizing that Jesus has the keys to heaven, okay, to to the kingdom. And so Jesus holds the keys to both. And so we have a faithful church here. We have a church that really there's no uh, weaknesses, spoiler alert, that's mentioned in here. And so what he is saying, instead of saying, you know, hey, I have the keys to Hades, he's saying to the faithful, I have the keys to the kingdom. And so he's, he's playing on that term. It's reversed a little bit here. So the Holy One, we're talking about uh, Christ's purity and separation unto God, the idea of, of being um, one that is chosen by God. I recognize the Trinity here, but, but Jesus had a, a distinct role that he did in, in obedience to his Father. And so Jesus can be trusted. He is pure. And he is the true one. He is, uh, it reports to his reliability. Which says Jesus can be followed. Now, look, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Uh, Jesus is holy. Jesus is true. He is dependable. Um, He can be trusted. He can be followed. 
But when we're in difficult circumstances, as we will see that Philadelphia is in, when, we're, when we have circumstances surrounding us, are we willing to keep trusting and following Jesus? I mean, it's just a, a clear uh, question here. And the focus is that our dependence and our confidence is in Jesus. Again, good Christian words. Pastor, you're supposed to say that. Right? Pastor's supposed to say, trust in Jesus, right? Okay? Be confident in him. But I'm challenging you to think about it. Where does your trust lie? In your bank account? In your 401k? In your family? In your nation? In your military? It's amazing the things that we put our trust in. Our mechanics, every time we get in our car, right? Look, our, our dependence as a church, our dependence as followers of Jesus, our confidence as followers of Jesus is in Jesus Christ. And then he holds the key of David. He's playing on a um, a story in Isaiah chapter 22 of an individual that holds the keys uh, in Hezekiah's kingdom. And so he's playing on this idea. It would have been a, a concept maybe Jewish Christians would have understood. But the idea is that Jesus has the keys to death and Hades, and Jesus has the keys to the kingdom. He's holding... He's holding all the keys, okay? Um, strengths. He's, I know your circumstances. Now, now look at verse 8. It, it, it's worded different. Uh, it's like a, we need like parentheses or something. I know your works, okay? This is said in each of these churches. I know your works. And then he gives them a description. He doesn't talk about their works. He says, behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have, okay, let me just stop there for a second. So there's some debate about what this open door is. Are we talking about the door to the kingdom? Are we talking about the door to ministry opportunities? If you haven't, you know, we, that, that term is used in the Bible in different ways. And so what he's referring to, and it's not as clear as we would want it to be, and sometimes I think the authors do that on purpose. You can play with the imagery here a little bit. Now, I, I, would, I would specify here, the open door is not like, you've been faithful, therefore you got an open door. It, the open door just happens as our faithfulness. God provides that. It's not like a reward in that sense. But it, it, you just want to be careful with saying, I earned it, I deserve it, or something like that. God, God is working with them, and this door is open. And he knows their works. And then he says, I know that you're little. You have little power. And so what's clear here is that God knows their faithfulness in their circumstances. And so I want you to hear this today. And I, Our faithfulness is not dependent on our circumstances. Your faithfulness is not dependent on your circumstances. Now, you play with this a little bit, if you're honest. You know, if I just had a better job, if my spouse was this way, if I had a spouse, if I had more money, if, if, if you know, if I lived, if I had more freedoms, if I, if I didn't have to wear a mask or didn't want, whatever, we have also, if, 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 then I would. Newsflash, your faithfulness is not dependent on your circumstances. Now, we, if you've been doing the, the reading, we just read through Numbers and we're in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, right? And there's so many times that, that Israel comes to a place, there's no water. And what do they do? They grumble. God gets angry. Moses gets irritated. And God provides. 
we were talking in our small group. One of the ones that gets me is they're in the desert. Like, there's no meat to eat. We had meat back in Egypt. Do you notice that God is describing all the sacrifices they had to give? Where were all these sheep and bull coming from? It's almost like, well, I don't want to sacrifice one of mine. I want free meat. You see, they were in difficult circumstances. Don't get me wrong. They're walking through the desert. They're battling. They're headed to the promised land. But at the end of that, God says, I tested you these 10 times. I tested your faithfulness in your circumstances, by the way, and I found you lacking. He doesn't say that, but that's, that's there. They failed each of the 10 tests. Your faithfulness is not dependent on your circumstances. Our faithfulness is not dependent on freedom from persecution. Wouldn't it be nice if we lived a life without difficulty and sickness and persecution, if everybody loved us all the time? You're jumping ahead in the story. That doesn't come until Revelation chapter 22. Now, look at verse 10, and we're going to come back to it in a little bit. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world and try those who dwell on the earth. Now, regardless of which way you approach uh, end times interpretation, most scholars would agree that we're talking about here the end, the end end. And I just want to remind you, uh, some would say this is a rapture verse. Some would say it's not. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. Regardless, it didn't apply to the church in Philadelphia. We're not all guaranteed a deliverance out of persecution. And so your faithfulness is not dependent on that. Now, he says here specifically, um, again, back in verse 8, I know that you have but little power. And so what kind of power? I would say they have li little political power. We, we've seen that in all the churches. The Jews were given a, a, an out in some of the Roman God worship. What we were finding is that the early Christian church was not. And so they didn't have a lot of political sway. By the way, uh, you can call you know, Rome's government whatever you want, but most individuals did not have a lot of political say. Um, we have seen at, through these processes, because they didn't worship some of the Roman gods, that would affect their ability to do business and to buy and sell. So maybe he's talking about their financial power. He's saying, I know that you don't have a lot of money. But you can be faithful anyway. You know, a lot of times, uh, we watch these shows on TV, or we've got friends, and, and whatever it is, and we go, man, I wish I had what they had. And my life would be so much easier if my house were this, my car, if my bank account, or whatever. Like, boy, I could really, I could do it. God, I could do a lot for the kingdom of God. You know what we hardly ever look at? Is those who are faithful with a whole lot less. Oh, man. Wow, they only have one car? They, they don't do cable? Whatever it is. And we go, wow, I don't, I don't want to be faithful like they're faithful. Your faithfulness is not dependent on your financial power. Be a really good giving seminar here in tithing, but I'll skip that for later. It's also not dependent just on your personal strength. Look, uh, some of us have better health. Some of us, you know, have stronger bodies. Some of us are younger. Whatever it is, it, your faithfulness is not dependent on that. We are faithful until the end. And so what's recognized here by the, ch the, the church in Philadelphia is, first of all, 
They're faithful under their circumstances. Second, they are faithful to the word of God. They are faithful to the word of God. And he says here in verse 8, um, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which, is, which uh, no one's able to shut. I know that you have but little power. Okay, they've been faithful. And yet you have kept my word. You've kept my word. This is a repeated phrase. We saw it uh, in chapter 1, uh, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written. Okay, uh, Chapter 2, uh, verse 26. To the one who conquers, who keeps my works. Uh, to the end, he will give it authority of the nations. Um, and then uh, chapter 3, uh, we saw it uh, in chapter 3 as well. We see it in chapter 12, chapter 14, chapter 16, uh, and chapter 22. Faithfulness to the word. Um, not, not just to revelation. Obviously, that's included here. But to the word of God. Um, in our reading this morning, and some of you maybe haven't got to it yet this morning, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and Deuteronomy, by the way, it's just kind of a good way to remember Deuteronomy is second law. Uh, everything, it, and if you go, I think I already read this. You did. Um, because we have a new generation that's headed into the promised land, and Moses is giving a series of sermons before they enter to remind them of everything. Okay? So it's just repeated. Um, and you go, oh, man, Dave, reading the Old Testament is hard enough. Why do we have to read it again? I'll just remind you that uh, Israel didn't get it on the first time either. Or the second. It's good for us to read. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and our reading today in verse 12, he says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that's in it. Yet the Lord set in his heart to love you, Lord set in his heart to love on your fathers and to choose their offsprings after them. You above all people, you are uh, this day. Now, he is saying, look, obey the word of God. It's very simple to hear, difficult to do. We've talked about this before, but I just want to take a minute. Uh, in the garden, Adam and Eve rebel against God. They choose to define good and evil on their own. And at that moment, sin enters in. And when sin enters in, it breaks the relationship with humanity and God. That's very clear. That's Bible 101. But we forget there's other things that were broken. You see, we see very quickly that not only was man's relationship, human's relationship with God broken, but our relationship with ourself was broken. We no longer view ourselves the way we should view ourselves as God's creation, created in his image. Our, our relationship with the earth is broken. We were to be caretakers of it. Now we're just users. Our relationship with others is broken. Adam, it's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. It's not my fault. It's the snake. Everything's broken, God. And so we can't restore that relationship on our own. There's not enough sheep, goats, or bulls to fix that problem. So God sends his son who gives his life 
so that your relationship with God could be restored. But friend, don't stop there. It's also so that your relationship with yourself can be restored. It's so that our relationship with the earth in which we live can be restored. It's so that our relationship with others can be for. It has to do with our identity. It has to do with our purpose. It has to do with our ability to forgive others as God has forgiven us. And so, why do we keep the word of God? Because it helps in the healing relationship with God. As I understand him, and as I understand myself, and I understand the love in which he showed through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that relationship is restored. Listen to these words again. He says, look, he says, behold, verse 9, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews, they are not, but a lie, Behold, I'll make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn what you should already know, that I have loved you. How do we know that? Because this book tells the story of God so loving the world that he gave his son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Reading God's word helps in our relationship, heals our relationship with ourself. Because we learn that we are created in the image of God. And not only that, but that God is restoring that image, that we're his children, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that we have an inheritance, that we're a part of a family, that we have a new purpose. Like all these things we're learning as we're reading the story. We're reminded that it, it, it helps heal our relationship with others. Peter says, how many times do I forgive my neighbor? Seven? Seems pretty drastic. No, not that many times, Peter. You see, what the world knows about you not how many times you came to church, not how many times you have given money to the church, not how many times you've sat in your bedroom alone and prayed. What the world knows about you is how you treat other people. What your kids know about you is how you treat other people. The word of God heals our relationship with others, and it heals our relationship with the world. So John emphasizes their faithfulness in their circumstances, their faithfulness to the word of God in verse 8, and there's actually three things in there. I know your works. Okay, got this open door, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I know your faithfulness to my name. Now that has multiple implications, certainly evangelistic but just remaining faithful uh, to being a follower of Jesus. And so some reminders again, and and I I know that I'm harping on this, um, but it's important. One of my my mentors, um, pastor mentors, he he used to say this all the time. He said, I'm not an angel, but I am going to harp on this. so, so I realize I'm harping a little bit on this, okay? But our faithfulness, the faithfulness to God's name means, it doesn't mean that we're, it's, depending on, it's dependent on God's power. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble reading my own notes. Faithfulness to God's name means depending on God's power. If we are of little power, where does our power come from? Right, we just sang about it this morning. Okay, Chris nailed that one, hit that one out of the park. Right? We just sang about that. Like, our power comes through Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so here we are, in whatever situation we are, and we're trying to be faithful to, how do we do it? It's Christ in us. 
Faithfulness to God's name means sometimes being excluded from the circles we love. Look, when he is talking about the synagogue, he is clearly talking about, which, by the way, he calls synagogue of Satan again, as he did in the second church, right? <laughs> when he talks about this synagogue, what is, it, what is the implication? You are not a part of that. Now, don't worry, you're a part of the temple of God, which you're not experiencing now. You don't feel included. There are times in this world that you will feel excluded because of your faithfulness to Jesus Christ and to his word. There are times that your family may treat you different. There are times, and they are a-coming, maybe when your government will treat you different. There are times when your friends will treat you differently. There are times when your friends may treat you differently. Faithfulness to God's name means sometimes being excluded. Now, he gives us a promise in verse 9 as well. Uh, there's going to be some future vindication. He says, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. Wow. Now, I certainly never did. But sometimes kids, when their parents did something mean and disciplining. You know, have you, have you seen the, 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 the scene in, uh, I think it's Christmas Story, and the kid swears? His mom washes his mouth out with soap. And then he has a dream of what happens afterwards. And he's coming back in the house and he's blind. And his mom says, who did this to you? He said, no, I can't, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. It's too, too much. Please tell us. And he says, it was soap poisoning. It's your fault, mom. And we just want that moment of vindication. We dream about it. Some of you have. Come on. Your spouse says, oh, my goodness, I can't believe how stupid I was. How many times have you dreamed of them saying that? How many times have they actually said it? You see, we, we want to be vindicated. And here, he says, one day, all these people who threw you out, all these people who excluded you, all these people who said they were wrong, they're going to come bow down to you. Now, I would say that they're, only bow they're bowing down to Christ, and we're, we're in the background there. Let's be careful with this. But there's vindication. And I think there's a promise here of those, those who are faithful to God's name are resting in God's love. I have loved you. And I, we can't be reminded of that enough. Oh, God's love for us. We, we, we have so many prayers of what we want God to do. Here's my challenge to you. Sometime this week, just open up your journal, take out a sheet of paper, whatever you do, and just take a minute to thank God for what he's already done. What he's already done. Oh, God. what You know, we, sometimes our prayers are, what have you done for me lately? resting in God's love. Now we're also trusting in God's protection. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Here is a verse in which no matter which commentary you pick up, it slightly disagrees with the one you read before. Okay, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I've got like six of them stacked on my, on my desk right now that I'm reading through as we go through Revelation. And most would say that we're talking about the end here, but is this talking about a rapture that either comes before the tribulation or before the wrath? Or is this talking about God keeping us through? There's two main possible interpretations. That God delivers us... Sorry, is that on your notes there? No, okay. At some point I run out of room. I have all these things I want you to fill in. So two possible interpretations. 
God delivers you from the tribulation to come. Um, we start this uh, train of thought in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 17, uh, where Paul says, Then we who are alive, who will be left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. And there's just a lot of debate about when that, that, when that being caught up happens. Okay, so one interpretation, God delivers us from tribulation. The second possible interpretation is that God delivers us through revel, uh, tribulation. Now, um, let me just uh, point out for a second, just argue both sides. In John chapter 17, in the Lord's Prayer, um, Jesus prays of his disciples uh, in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So there's the idea of being keep, kept okay, through the tribulation. So you can, you can see both in there. And I would say for the church in Philadelphia, they were kept through, okay? Because there's, there's not multiple uh, raptures. And so what we have here is just a reminder. Um, those of you, I, I mean, those of you who love studying this stuff, some of you, I know you're all set in your theology, and, uh, um, and it's good, good for you. I'm really glad. Um, I just, you know, there are people who have been arguing about this stuff for years. And if you think I'm going to preach a sermon and convince you of something, then you're sorely mistaken, okay? Most of you just want me to tell you what you already have heard so that you feel good about it, but I'm not going to do that. So here's just something I want you to, I, I just remember, some of you remember these things, you know, as we talked about the different, uh, is it pre-tribulation, is it post-tribulation, is it mid-tribulation, um, you know, is it pre-mill, ah-mill, you know, post-mill, all these things. Those of you who know the term, um, I grew up with pan-millennialism. It's all going to pan out in the end. Okay, so that, that's one take on it. Uh, the other, just the idea of pre- or, or post-tribulation, where does the church in this, is God keeping us through, is he keeping us from? And so I remember, you know, Theolo, you guys heard this one, um, pray for pre, prepare for post, Okay. In other words, you know, I hope I, get, I hope I get out of here before it gets really bad, although it's pretty bad. But if not, I, get, I better get ready for it. And so here's the, here's the point. Our faithfulness is not dependent on the rapture. Our faithfulness is to God and to his name to his word. And look at verse 11. He says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. In other words, faithfulness to God's name means waiting on Christ's return. We're waiting. Now, that doesn't mean waiting, doing nothing. Now, here's my, I know some of you, again, we can argue later. That's fine. Some of you go, Dave, I just I want you to I want you to just give me some hope in the rapture. I want you to give me some hope and all this stuff. And, and what I, I want to say is growing up in churches where the rapture was preached honestly more than heaven. Just being honest with you. In Baptist churches that I grew up in, I heard more about the rapture than I did about heaven. The in, the, now the implication then is that I'm more concerned being delivered out of my circumstances than I am living eternally in the presence of God. And as your pastor, I will not emphasize that. You should live every day in the hope of living in the presence of God, regardless of your circumstances. He's harping on over here. This lifetime of ours, it's, a, it's, it's gone. Eternity. Eternity is what we need to focus on. Now, some of the younger generation will say to me, you're telling people not to care about justice, not to care about the... No, I'm not. 
not sing. We absolutely should live in light of the kingdom that we are going to live in. That's why we pray your kingdom come. Not so that we sit there and go, come, 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 so that we start living according to it. We're waiting on Christ's return. Faithfulness to God's name means remaining strong. We just looked at in verse 11. And then also, I I would say that there's an emphasis here, which it switches. We have this synagogue, and then he starts to talk about heaven. And, And he says, you know, don't give up this crown. He says, to the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of God. So where you were left out, you are now going to be a part of in a much bigger, long-lasting way that nobody can ever... Man, he doesn't just say, look, you get to be in the temple. He, he refers to them as pillars in the temple. I mean, you couldn't, be any, you couldn't even be more of an important part of the temple than that. And not only that, but you get your name on your pillar. It's pretty significant. And so we're enjoying fellowship with other believers. If you want to know what you're going to be doing in heaven, for the most part, some of you, this could be taken the wrong way, but for most of you, I'm okay with this. Think about what you really love doing. Because God loves you. I love music. Guess what? It's going to be in heaven. Chris and I talk a lot. We both have the uh, same kind of barbecue. And so we, we love, you know, I love barbecuing and having, and having a people over to share in the meat. I love having meat hands. I think I'll be doing that in heaven. I love playing sports. Right? You, you understand, like, what is to come is everything that we love more. And so he, he says here, you're going to be enjoying this fellowship. What are the weaknesses? I already told you what are the weaknesses? None. But we're reminded, again, our strength is not found in our circumstances. Our strength is not found in our positions in this world. And our strength isn't even found when we're living in times of peace. The rewards to those who conquer. Again, and just one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God, of my God. Never shall he go out of it. The temple just represented God's presence. The pillar of fire, the smoke, where you went for... The, the temple in the Old Testament is all about the presence of God. And so we know that those who who conquer are going to enjoy the presence of God. We're going to go back to the garden state where God walked among his people in the cool of the evening. You're going to be living in the presence of God. And I've said this over and over again uh, as, as your pastor over the many years. Look, if you are imagining a heaven without Jesus, you are imagining the wrong place. Because heaven is all about being in the presence of God. We get to enjoy our relationship with God. We sit down and we read our Bibles and, and, and sometimes I just want to say, God, I just wish you could tell me what I'm supposed to do here. And, I, and you go, well, I'm supposed to read your word. I know, but I just, I want to feel your hand upon me. I want to, I want to, I want to see your face. And, and I want you to know that we get to enjoy the relationship with God forever and ever and ever and as he talks about here, this, these, these pillars and this name of God written on them and the name of the city of God, this new Jerusalem, which comes down and, and he says, and I get my own name. And, and, and all this he's saying, look, we all get to enjoy a new identity or a right identity with God. It's all in this right place. I went a little long this morning. It's just, a, it's just a great passage of being reminded to be faithful in our circumstances, to be faithful to the word of God, and to be faithful to the name of Jesus. So let me ask you this. How are you letting your circumstances impact your worship? Let me say it again. How are you letting the circumstance, your health, the condition of your church, uh, your 
summer, whatever, how are you letting your circumstances impact your attitude towards worshiping God? Second, how are you keeping the word of God? I know that I make a big deal about, are you reading? Are you you asking questions? Who is God? What has he done? Like, how are you applying God's word to your life? But I just, how do we know the story? How do we know the works of God unless we're just constantly being reminded of it? How are you proclaiming the name of Jesus? Beyond Sunday morning, you know, how are you proclaiming the name of Jesus? Let's pray, and then uh, we'll sing a song, and I'll just uh, kind of introduce you to um, communion for this morning. So uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for the challenging things that come from your word. And uh, Lord, I just pray. I pray for the faces that I see here this morning, um, the body of Christ here at Hillsborough First Baptist Church. I pray for those who are watching that I can't see, some who have been a part of our 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 body for a long time, others who are just catching in and listening, maybe just somebody just picked this up this morning for whatever reason, you're just watching this. And, and so God, I just, I pray for all those, everybody here, that we would know the love of Jesus Christ, that we would look at what you have done, giving your life for us, dying for our sins, bringing us to completion in the kingdom. God, when we look at that, we'd be reminded of your works, your love. And that it would cause us to be faithful regardless of our circumstances. To be faithful to what you've spoken. And to be faithful to your name. Until we are in the presence of our God. May your hand be upon us.